And it's a, it's a joy to uh, stand here many years <clears throat> in front of uh, the people of Koinonia, now New Hope, and to give the word. And the word today is in Matthew 24, 35. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. <clears throat> it's very, you, you have to really get that one into your mind that whatever was spoken in the Word of God, the Bible, the Scripture, is going to be forever. It, <clears throat> people may come and try to pass it away and call it something else or try to uh, make believe that it was only for that day and not now, but it, it's never going to pass away. <clears throat> Whatever was spoken. That's very important to, to know because our methods change, but the message never changes. And <clears throat> we have new wine for new wineskins. You can't put the new wine into an old wineskin. And I'll explain it a little bit later why that would be. I hope you already have figured that one out. But I'd like to look at our, <clears throat> our church beginnings. And I like to think that what goes around will come back around. And when we first started, it started with a Bible study. <clears throat> the study was not to begin a church. It was just to get the people to, I guess, learn more about Jesus. And the ultimate we prayed for <clears throat> is that people would receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior through the Bible study. But when we first started, <clears throat> our first study, nobody came. First week, no one showed up. Second week, one college student from Clarkson showed up. <clears throat> And we kept asking and inviting primarily the people from the universities to be there. And the Bible study grew and grew. And after about a year and a half, <clears throat> the people that were coming desired to be there. And it was such a thrill to meet on a Thursday night and to watch people come in <clears throat> because they really couldn't wait to get there. And then <clears throat> people were saying to me, they said, Harvey, if you ever start up a church, and you know, <laughs> I, I kind of shrugged it off, and if they ever started a church, we'd be, my, my wife and I would be there. <clears throat> I said, well, thank you, that's nice. But enough people kept saying it week after week that I started to pray to God, God, do you want another church in Potsdam? You got a lot already, and some of them were good Bible-believing churches. But these people wanted more <clears throat> than just what the churches had. They, they wanted, and I went through and I, I looked at all the things that I could remember that the people were asking for. What did they desire? They wanted more Bible teaching. They desired this. Church wasn't enough. And they wanted prayer. Thank you, my dear. And they wanted a prayer that was personal and corporate. Silent and verbal. Now, many of these people that came to this study came from churches where the priest or the pastor did all the prayer time, and they never said, come on up, you give a prayer. Well, in our, our Bible study, every time I would ask somebody different to start us off with prayer. 
And many times they'd come to me afterwards and say, do you know it's the first time I ever prayed verbally in front of a group? It was like, wow, I didn't know I could do that. <clears throat> but they desired to do it and they grew. They wanted to experience the power and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. The churches weren't doing that. <clears throat> they wanted healings. They wanted to see people lay their hands and pray for them and get healed. And we could do that. Sometimes after one of our Bible studies and our social time, somebody would share that they were going to have some type of a surgery or something, a neighbor that was hurting. And so we would lay a hand on and pray for them. And then next week they'd come and tell about a miracle that had happened because of that prayer. It was exciting times. And they wanted to know more about the power of the Holy Spirit. And speaking in tongues was something that they had read about, but they didn't understand it. But if it was what God wanted of us, we wanted it too. And so we prayed for some people to do that, to speak in tongues, and they did. And there was interpretation. It was exciting. And I mean, it was like, wow, God, you're doing all this? And, and we were, uh, these were people who wanted to see Christ and born-again believers, people who were bold enough to share their testimony. And every time I would pray with somebody to receive Christ as their Lord and Savior, the minute they finished their prayer or my prayer over them or both, I would say to them, you see those three people over there? I want you to go over there and tell them what just happened in your life. And there would be some people that couldn't wait to get over there and share their testimony with the people. And there were others that were kind of shy and say, well, maybe later I could do it. I'll tell you what I found out. The people who were desiring to go over and share their testimony became, I found out, a lot stronger in their faith later on in their, as I watched them grow in their life than those who were timid and kind of didn't want to share that great faith that just happened to them, the grace of God. They wanted to experience more of a personal relationship with the Lord and with each other, more than the church. Hi, how are you? And what's the answer? Fine, thank you. Yeah, and that's it. How are the kids? Fine. How, you know, kids maybe are driving them crazy at home. Fine, thank you for asking. I'll see you next Sunday. Same thing. They wanted more than that. They're hurting. Yeah, my kids are, are hurting us. We don't know how to raise them properly. Could you help us? They wanted this honesty in church. They wanted, uh, they wanted godly change no matter what the cost. And I remember when we uh, finally got to the point where uh, <clears throat> we were now establishing a, a church because when I prayed to God about do we really start this church or not, and uh, I said, I don't want this to be something that I'm trying to get because, I, Lord, you know, I, that, isn't, that wasn't my original plan. But if you want a church in Potsdam, especially for the academics, the college kids, the staff, the professors, 
I, I'm going to ask for a sign, and I rarely, I, in fact, that's about the only time I think I can remember I asked for a sign. <clears throat> I said, I pray that you'll give me 12 people that come to our Bible study. 12 people will come up and <clears throat> ask me or say to me, if you start a church, you can plan on us being there. And here's what I prayed. And if I get 12 people, I want these 12 to say, and I will tithe. And to be honest with you, I thought, <laughs> I, I, I'm off the hook. It's not going to happen. You know what happened? I had, there were 10, and I'll never forget. <laughs> I'm thinking, Lord, 10 people have already come up and said, Harvey, I'll, I'll be with you at that church if you start it. And I'll tithe. My wealth will tie with me too. And then the two more people, another husband and wife came up and they said that. I never said a word to anybody on any of these Thursday night Bible studies about would you like to be in a church and would you like to tithe? Never said a word about tithing. And there were 12. I was scared. But uh, what do we do? Well, we finally decided after meeting several months in homes. As a Sunday, just we shared people, different people would give a message, different people would pray. We had a wonderful time. We said, we need to call a pastor. And that's when we called John Alt. <clears throat> and these people said, we're going to call a pastor, whoever comes, and it was John that we guarantee them they'll always have a roof over their head and food on their table. We promise. And I can remember sitting around the, our uh, Sunday <clears throat> morning table after the message, and uh, <clears throat> we said, that means if I have to put a second mortgage on my house, I'll do it. And somebody says, that means if I sell my car, I'll do it. <clears throat> but we'll never let them go without God never <laughs> had given us plenty, and we never we never had to worry. In fact, John got to the point where one time he, he said, Harvey, you've made more of the money in the collections than we need. We need to get a treasurer to take care of our food and our, what, we're, what we need. Well, these people that began what was called Koinonia, there was a book put out, One Body in Christ, and it says you cannot have an ecclesia, you can never have a church unless you have a koinonia, a body of believers. That makes a church. So we started as a church with people that had this desire. <clears throat> However, in time, even in the, our early time, we found that there were people who were kind of uh, getting a little laxed, not as uh, bold. And uh, when we first started off, we were very bold. And I was sharing with John earlier, volume one, number one, called The Salt Shaker. Uh, the Salt Shaker was something that was published out of 5 Hamilton Street here in Potsdam. And uh, <clears throat> there was a terrific uh, couple of testimonials in here, one by Mike Webster, 
who was a Clarkson student at the time, who later became a president of a university, and uh, also the senior pastor of uh, Believer's Chapel, a large church in Syracuse. And uh, he started off right here as a college student. He wanted people to know that he loved the Lord and got saved. And we used to stand on the corner down on Market Street, handing these out to people. We just, we wanted the love of Jesus to shine everywhere to everyone. <clears throat> but people start, can start getting a little bit uptight, especially about change. When you say to somebody, here, I want you to go down on Market Street and pass these out, would you? Would you? Well, there are some people who would say, nah, nah, you know, we get tradition kind of sets in us that we're, we're happy. Look, we've got a happy group here, and why would we want to do more? <clears throat> well, I thought back, and I'm thinking now in the uh, olden times, let's say, let's say just uh, <clears throat> lighting in a church. Mary Lynn and I went to Norway, and uh, we saw one of the early churches way back, I think in the 1200s. And, um, and it was nothing but a straight old up building with lighting, uh, open air in the top. That was the only lighting. When you went in the church, it was almost dark. And there were just a few little seats around. And the person who was telling us about this church <clears throat> said, oh, the early church, that's the only light we had. And, uh, and, and we stood the whole time. We never sat. I said, what are those benches? Those are for the disabled people. If there were any disabled, they could sit. And we said, oh, and it was dirt floor. And I thought, standing for about an hour with, in this dimness? Well, along comes somebody in time and says, hey, what we need, we've got candles. They made candles. We can put a candle in here. And there are people who say, no way. I'm not going to be in a church with candles. My church has just free lighting from above. Well, then the people get all set on it. They get set, we're nothing but candles in our church. And along comes somebody and says, electricity is here. We have light bulbs. We can put light bulbs in. No way. The serenity of a candle is so good. I, I wouldn't go to your church if you got light bulbs in it. Are you kidding me? And today, look at the lights that are shining all over on us and the uh, technology we have with lighting. And yet there are some people who say, I wouldn't want to go in that church. Look at all the stuff they got there. Oh. You know, we get set in our ways, and we don't want to change, even if it's good. Look at music. You go from the old traditional hymns, and, and people, were, we invite them to come in here, and we have praise music, and they say, are you kidding me? I wouldn't be caught dead in that type of music. Look, we used to have, uh, <clears throat> starting off with maybe uh, no instruments at all. We just sang. You know, by vo our voices, we're it. And then along comes somebody and says, I have a piano, could I move it in your church? Well, if you put that thing in here, no way do I want to hear a piano banging and making all that noise, no way. Uh, if you do that, I'm leaving. And then people get set on a piano, they love the piano. And 
they came up with organs. Could we play the organ? No, are you kidding? That loud noise, the piano's nice and soft. Well, maybe we'll compromise. We'll have the two of them. Now, now we've got guitars and drums. Are you kidding me? It's, the organ music is so beautiful. Now, you know, here we're sitting here with all of this, and what if I said to you, you know, our church is going to go back to a harp. We're just going to play a harp. We're getting rid of all this stuff. You'd probably say, no way am I going to sit in this church anymore if you're just going to play a harp. We become old fuddy-duddies, you know. <clears throat> well, Jesus brought about a lot of change when he came to earth. He ate with sinners. And the religious people said, are you kidding me? I wouldn't follow that man. Look at him eating. Matthew and his tax collectors. And then they, they saw him on a Sabbath day eating, breaking wheat, or uh, yeah, kernels of wheat so his disciples could eat. They were famished, hungry. And the religious people said, are you kidding me? Be a follower of that man? He broke the Sabbath. And not only that, he broke the Sabbath another time. We saw him healed a man on that day. He did work. You're not, you know, that's blasphemous. And uh, they even plotted to kill Jesus, which certainly was illegal too, but they didn't see it that way. Well, what did Jesus say about change? In Matthew 9, 16 and 17, it says, No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch will pull away from the garment, making the tear worse. Neither do men pour new wine into old wineskins. If they do, the skins will burst, the wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins, and both will be preserved. Now, before they had the glass bottles, they, they just had goat skin or uh, sheep skin, and they would sew it together and put a substance around it to keep it from leaking. They'd turn it inside out, and when somebody would come with new wine, they would pour it into this new wine skin. Now, when you pour the wine into a new wine skin, it ferments and it expands. And, the, and the, the skin expands. Well, when they empty the wine, finally, down to nothing is left, you cannot put new wine back into it because there's no more expansion left. So it would burst. So if you put new wine into old wine skins, it's no good. You're going to lose it. <clears throat> Instead, you have to have another new wine skin. So you only put new wine into new wineskins. That's the parable that Jesus was saying. Well, <clears throat> when Jesus spoke in parables, they, uh, they asked of his disciples, said, why do you speak in parables? And he basically said, so the believers would get it, but the non-believers won't hear it, won't see it, won't get it. <clears throat> so it's for the believers. So as believers... We are to know that the old wineskins are basically the Pharisees, people who 
just wanted to uh, be religious on the outside and inside. Their hearts were stone cold. And Jesus came and he really mocked the, those who said they were religious, the Pharisees, Sadducees. And uh, <clears throat> he, he's, he was saying that these old wineskins are the Pharisees. And you can't pour my godly Jesus, the Holy Spirit, into these old wineskins. It'll be no good it's for nothing. Instead, we need a new wineskin. Well, who, who and what is the new wineskins? In this case, it was the disciples and all those who believe. You, who, if you are a believer of Jesus Christ, you've accepted him into your heart as Lord and Savior, you are a new wineskin. However, we can, our, our wineskins can sit around and get old and, and start becoming old. And uh, we have to be careful because if we try to pour the new wine into them, we have to make that old wineskin to become new again. Now, how do you make the old wineskin become new? Well, initially, initially it's becoming a believer of Jesus Christ. You're going to need to, if you haven't done it, ever done it, you're going to need to confess your sins, repent of them. It means turn away from, not do them anymore with God's help, but I, I'm saying it, Lord, and you're going to ask for forgiveness of these sins, and then you're going to have to ask Christ to come into your heart as Lord and Savior. You are a new wineskin. However, there are people that the Bible calls backsliding that uh, tend to fall away, tend to get just stale, if you will, and they need to be regenerated. We need to be repent of our sins and become new again so we can get that new wineskin, that Holy Spirit to come in to make us desirous of more things. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is, is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. That, that's the answer to what's a new wineskin. When we're in Christ, he is a new creation. That's in us. The old has gone. We are new. We're changed. Whether you, If you're a person that doesn't like change, well, what happened when you asked Christ to come into your heart? You were changed. Whether you like it or not, you have been changed. But perhaps in time we fall away and we need to change our sinful habits and our wineskins become old and let the new now warm New wine pour back into our new and available wineskins. Change can be exciting and invigorating to the soul, like we saw happening a few weeks ago. You remember? How many of you were here when we had a service Sunday? Uh, and we, we had a prayer group here. We had people writing nice quotes out there. And we had people in the fellowship hall that were making up uh, basket or bags to be put in snack packs for Morell's group. And uh, that was exciting. And I thought to myself, I wonder if these people are going to come back next Sunday. You know, I mean, this the church was over. We had our church done, and we said, don't go away. 
we have something more for you. And I thought, that's change. And I don't know if people are going to like it. Well, I came back the next Sunday, and we had about half as many more people in church than there were that Sunday. So I thought, I think these people like the change. Isn't that wonderful? They felt like they were giving. And what we need is more of that. And in a book that I read, well, actually those of us who began our church way back 50-some-odd years ago, a book called The Taste of New Wine by Keith Miller. And uh, I want to read just a portion of something that really got to us. If I can find my page, I'll be right with you. Keith Miller said, I believe the new wine calls for a revolutionary kind of ministry, more profound and exciting than at any time in the past for both laymen and pastors. The layman must not only share his life in Christ's concerned love in the most complex age in history, but he must learn to help God reproduce reproducers for his ministry in the world. See, it's not just good enough to say, well, I'm a Christian. What we need to do now that we have been reproduced by somebody that introduced us to Christ, now we need to reproduce the reproducers. And it says, this kind of Christian ministry consists of getting together with one or two or 12 men who have already begun to give their wills to God and who are hungry to know him and his will for for their lives. One way to begin is to start meeting at least weekly and spending the time it takes over weeks and months and even years to pour your whole cup into theirs. You share together with the utmost honesty and current problems you are having as an individual and as a believer in trying to be holy Christ persons. What would happen here if I said, I want you two college kids to meet with me and my wife and and another young couple over here who have a few children, and we'll meet um, weekly for about an hour or so, whatever. We'll start my home. Mary Lynn and I will have you in our home, and uh, we'll just get together and share what God's been doing in our life, how we're doing spiritually. And uh, one of you college students, would you give us a message from the Word of God? And uh, the couple, would you have prayer at the end, please? And uh, see how long we can last, maybe a year or more. Would we do it? I think we would see some new wine like we have never seen before. But that takes change, which is what Christ is all about. He gave you a new heart. That's change. Now he wants you to do more than that. He wants you to change with other believers in Christ. In uh, Chris Galano's book, Mega Church to uh, Multiplication, he said, one of the toughest things for good people to do is to give up the many good things they are already doing in order to embrace the best. And what he really was saying was, many of us are sharing good things. We have good, good fellowship. He says, that's not good enough. 
you need to share for the best. And people, when they, I go, this drives Mary Lynn bonkers, but we go through the checkout, and the girl says to me as we're ready to leave Walmart or wherever, she'll say, have a good day. And I'll say to them, I don't want to have a good day. And they look at you, I say, I want to have a great day. There was a terrific book by Jim Collins called Good to Great. And in this book, what he, his whole main thesis is, good is the enemy of great. So when someone says to you, have a good day, tell them, no, I want to have a great day. See, good is the enemy of great. And that goes for church especially. It's not just good enough to be here. Hey, I'm here, that's good enough. No, it isn't. We want the we want to be great. We want the best. And that's what this beautiful book about megachurch to multiplication is all about. Keep in mind, if we're going to, church, if we're going to change, and I believe this church is going to change. I don't th- we should change. We shouldn't be satisfied with where we're at. That isn't good enough. We're going to go for the great. But methods change but not the message. And we need to remember, we need new wineskins for the new wine. And it's my prayer that we grow in our time to come. And uh, I hope we come up with another salt shaker or something else that's like that. And we can watch. I can sit back and I, I can say, okay, it's my turn to be on the corner now. You can go home. But I want to pass these out. And I remember when I was doing that, I was a new professor. And at first, my first inclination as I got on that corner to pass out these, these uh, salt shakers was, what if my dean comes by here? You know, and he sees me. And then I thought, well, I hope he does see me. <laughs> because I'll, I'll give him one of these. But, you know, it was almost like a a kiss of academic death if that ever happened to me. That was my Satan's thought. And I pray that we will, put a, we will flee from the devil and we will use our scripture to fight back and to attack our enemies. But I pray that you'll want the change and I pray that change when it does come will be for the best. And I pray you will be on the front lines ready to deliver more salt shakers. God bless you and thank you for this time.